Peyton Douglas was surrounded by the enemy, his back against the wall, or heart, as it were. The Lockharts advanced on him with an anxious look in their eyes, and he wondered how they had managed to gain entry, today in particular, when he was entertaining some very important men from Glasgow, men who were at this very moment rather deep in their cups, having sampled the barley breeze scotch whisky distilled here on his estate, Aylin Ross. But his enemies were desperate, and by their own confession, in quite a predicament, for they'd been caught completely unawares when their dear friend Hugh McAllister had purloined their priceless family heirloom, a gold statue of a beastie with ruby eyes right out from under their noses. Griffin Lockhart, from whom the beastie had been stolen, had just argued passionately that while this outrageous insult would be avenged in due time, at the moment it seemed that McAllister's actions had left the entire Lockhart family near to penniless, and faced with the forced betrothal of their only daughter, Mared, to the man who had lent them a princely sum to retrieve the beastie, Peyton Douglas. The very same Peyton Douglas who stood with his back against the cold hearth, eyeing the only one of the five Lockharts in his study who seemed inordinately relaxed. Seated at his writing desk, she idly twirled a quill pen as Peyton stoically listened to the rather windy speech of her laird father. Frankly, one could scarcely do anything but listen when in the company of so many Lockharts. This speech, obviously prepared in advance, judging by the way Lady Lockhart's lips moved in unison with her husband's, spoke to how Peyton, the son of ancestors who had spilled precious Lockhart blood in every war and time of stripe, would take their only daughter to wipe, having bargained for her in loaning them a substantial sum that was to be repaid within a year's time. "'Tis the stuff of popular novels!' Lady Lockhart exclaimed. Behind her, her daughter Mared smiled as she twirled the pen, as if that analogy amused her. "'Frankly, my lady, I've never read a novel as befuddling as this,' Peyton said. "'If I am to understand, do ye mean to say ye'll no honour our agreement regarding the loan Meiji?' That question was met with a burst of nervous, high-pitched laughter from the four dark-headed Lockharts standing at this little impromptu meeting. Carson, the aging laird of what was left of the Lockhart clan, his lean and graceful lady wife Isla, the eldest son and massive soldier Liam, and his younger brother Griffin, who was slightly smaller and quite debonair. Of course no, Liam boomed reassuringly, but surely ye understand that we couldn't have dreamed McAllister would betray us so. As ye've said several times over now, nevertheless, it would appear but he did indeed betray ye, and ye owe me a tidy sum, I. The four standing Lockhart looked sheepishly at one another, while Mared sighed and opened a book on his writing desk, flipping to the first page. Griff quickly stepped forward and smiled charmingly. If I may, my lord, the problem is that without the beastie, we have no means to repay your very generous loan. Three thousand pounds, Peyton quickly reminded him, was more than generous. It was sheer insanity. Aye, very generous, Griff agreed, casting an anxious glance at his family. But we made a wee error we did, he said, holding thumb and index finger together to show just how we the error. I beg your pardon, but there was no error. Your father signed the promissory papers. That he did, Griff readily agreed, and we promised Mared's hand to ye as collateral on your loan, and, well, plainly put, Douglas, tis no secret how she feels about ye, Ah, uh, that is to say, your reforms, he said carefully, and exchanged a look with his mother.